ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with us to Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. The Bible reads, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread foot forty and two months. We're still in the midst of a parenthetical passage that began in chapter 10. We're in the midst of a pause in the actions and the activities of the tribulation period judgments. And as we come to Revelation 11, we've arrived at one of the most difficult passages in the book of Revelation. It's hard to understand, but keeping two distinct thoughts in mind will help us as we study these verses. One, we are on Jewish ground. The images, the terminology are Jewish in nature. And these verses deal with the future of the people of Israel. Second, we're dealing with future events. Now, some theologians take these verses and try to make them fit the past. Some even try to make them fit into the present. It seems to me they only fit into the future. What we're going to study today is a prophecy concerning the future temple in Jerusalem, the tribulation temple. I thought it would be good if we, t- if we took our time in this chapter and considered these matters in some detail. So with that in mind, let's examine John's word concerning the future temple. In verse 1, we see a vision of promise. When John mentions the temple, he's referring to a place that's dedicated to Jewish worship. The Jews have been without a temple for nearly 2,000 years now. And this verse makes it crystal clear that a new temple will be built there in Jerusalem. Now for some 500 years from the time of Moses to David, The people of Israel worshipped God at the tabernacle. And it was there that sacrifices were carried out. And it was there that the priest made intercession for the sins of the people. It was there that Israel sought their God. Before David died, he expressed a desire to build a permanent house of God, a temple where where God's presence could dwell in 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 4. God, however, refused to allow David to build the temple because he was a man of war, according to 1 Chronicles 28, and verse 3. 
The privilege of building this magnificent temple fell to David's son, Solomon, in 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. Now, David was not allowed to build the temple, but he began to accumulate the building materials that would be necessary for its construction. You can find that in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, and chapters 13 through 16. Before David died, he charged, the, he charged his son Solomon to build that temple, 1 Chronicles 22, 6 through 19. Solomon built that temple as he was commanded by David. It took seven years to complete the building. And when it was finished, it was dedicated to the Lord with a lavish sacrifice. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 63 says that 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep were offered to the Lord at the temple dedication. At this dedication, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought from the tabernacle into the temple, God demonstrated his approval on this house of worship or of this house of worship by filling it with his Shekinah glory in 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. Now this magnificent temple cost an enormous amount of money to build. The Illinois Society of Architects estimated in 1925 that it would cost $87 billion. In other words, factoring in inflation. If that temple were built in our day, its cost would approach $1.4 trillion, and that's 2022 numbers. This temple building dominated the Jerusalem skyline until it was destroyed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar in 538 B.C. The Jews were taken into captivity into to, uh, Babylon at that time, and some were allowed to return to Jerusalem, and in 490 B.C., the temple was rebuilt by Zerubbabel. However, this temple was not as elaborate or as beautiful as the first temple had been. And the prophet Haggai writes this in Haggai 2 and verse 3, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it is nothing. Ezra 3 and verse 12 adds this insight regarding the rebuilt temple. But as many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house and the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. This temple was also destroyed. In 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple by slaughtering a sow on the altar and demanding that he be worshipped as God. He dismantled the temple. And in an effort to gain the support of the Jews, Herod the Great rebuilt this temple around 6 B.C., now, Herod's temple took some 46 years to build, according to John chapter 2 and verse 20, and it was far grander than the second temple. It would have been Herod's temple where the Lord Jesus worshipped and preached. This temple was also slated for destruction. Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, Jesus prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. 
This took place in 70 AD when Titus, the Roman general, besieged Jerusalem. And during that siege, which lasted from 66 AD to 70 AD, some one million Jews were slain. It's said that Titus crucified so many Jewish men during the siege that he ran out of wood to make new crosses. The roads were literally lined with crosses occupied by the rotting remains of the Roman victims. When Jerusalem fell in 70 AD, the city was destroyed. The temple was utterly demolished. All that remains of the ancient temple is the western wall, also called the western wailing wall. Orthodox Jews go there to pray every day, and they believe that all prayers ascend to heaven by means of Jerusalem. So they write their prayers on paper, and they stuff them in the cracks of the wall. Jews from around the world can email their prayers to Jerusalem, and these prayers are printed off and taken to the wailing wall and then prayed over, and they're then stuck in the cracks, stuffed in the cracks of the wall. Currently, the Jews have no temple, but that will change in the near future. When John mentions a temple in verse 1, he is letting us in on the truth that a new temple must be built in Jerusalem. It may surprise you to learn that some people have already made preparations for this event. The Jews are ready. One problem that has always stood between the Jews and the new temple is the mosque of Omar, or better known as the Dome of the Rock. This is the third holiest site for Muslims. It was completed in 691 AD. Inside the dome is a great rock, and Muslims believe that the prophet Muhammad ascended into heaven from this rock conferred with Moses and returned to earth with the prayers that all Muslims are supposed to pray. For many centuries, it was believed that the Dome of the Rock was built on the site of the original temple. It is believed that the Dome of the Rock would have been have to be demolished before a new temple could be rebuilt. And I contend that that mosque has to go before this temple can be rebuilt. I don't have a clue how God's going to do it, but I believe he's going to do it. By the way, the problems in the Middle East today are not political problems. They're religious problems. Every group involved in the turmoil in in Israel wants to control the ancient city of Jerusalem. It's the most contested piece of real estate in the world. For the Jews, their struggle is one of survival. For the Arabs and the Muslims, their goal is the annihilation of Israel. It will all be settled one day. It's awfully interesting to read about the preparations that the Orthodox Jews are making in regards of rebuilding this temple. One group known as the Temple Institute is dedicated to the ideal of rebuilding the Jewish temple, and they've been working to prepare for the day when the the temple being built, rebuilt, is a reality. They have already prepared many of these items that they need to resume temple worship. A simple visit to their website, www.templeinstitute.org, is very enlightening. For the Temple Institute has already built the golden altar of incense, the menorah, 
and the table of showbread. And they have reconstructed most of the garments already for the high priest to wear. They've already produced many of the instruments that will be used by the Levites in temple worship. The day is coming that the Jews are getting ready. They know that a new temple will indeed stand in Jerusalem someday soon. All the Jews need are the ashes of a red heifer so they can consecrate a priest and they're doing their best to breed an acceptable animal as we speak. And this is far, far more advanced every day. They're also trying to find and locate the Ark of the Covenant. My friend, I believe they will succeed one day. At any rate, much more can be said about the Jewish preparations for the rebuilding of the temple, but this is just a small amount of exciting news, and it makes me want to look up for Jesus is coming. The message delivered by this promise of a new temple in Jerusalem is that God is not finished with the Jewish people. They are still his chosen ones, and he still has a plan for them, and he has already returned them to their homeland. On May 14, 1948, a nation that had been extinct for nearly 1,900 years was raised literally from the ashes. Israel became a nation and was restored to her former lands. The Jews began to pour back into Israel. Our generation has seen God's hand of protection upon the people of Israel during the wars that they fought and won against overwhelming odds. God is not finished yet. He will continue to use them, and he will continue to raise up a remnant of Jewish people. And the promise of a new temple is simply God's way of saying, I am not finished with Israel. But also in verse 1, we not only see a vision of promise, we see a vision of preservation. John is told to take a reed and measure the temple, the altar, and the worshipers. This reed refers to a plant that grows in the Jordan Valley, and these reeds grow to a height of 15 to 20 feet. They're hollow, they're lightweight, but they are exceedingly strong. And they're used for walking sticks, according to Ezekiel 29 and verse 6. They're cut down, they're sharpened, and they're also used as writing tools. They were also used in ancient times as measuring sticks. A rod is about six cubits or nine feet. John is told to take the measuring rod and measure the temple. Now, that's symbolic in two different, two different ways. One, a symbol of full preservation. The act of measuring speaks of possession. God is claiming the temple, the altar. He's claiming the worshipers as his own. This is just another reminder that God is not finished with the Jewish people. You can read Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, as well as verse 26. But also the second aspect that is symbolic about this is the symbol of faithful preservation. Not only full preservation, but faithful preservation. God will keep every 
promise he ever made to the nation of Israel. And he has set them aside for a time, just a time, because of their unbelief. In the end, however, Israel will be saved. God will continue to work in and through Israel until a remnant is saved. And you can find that and study that in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 through chapter 13, verse 1, and verses 8 and 9 of that chapter. Now, some in our day are attempting to replace Israel with the church. They claim that Israel has been forever set aside and the church has inherited the promises God made to Israel. Folks, we do not want the promises God made to Israel. The promises that we have as the church are far superior to those given to Abraham and his descendants. They will inherit the earth. We inherit a home in glory. There is a difference between Israel and the church, and that difference must always be kept in mind when studying your Bible. But also in verse 2, we see a vision of punishment. While this measuring of the temple is in one sense a blessing for the nation of Israel. It also brings the mind to mind images of judgment. Rod is mentioned four times in the book of Revelation. One, it is in these verses. The three other times, it's in connection with the Lord Jesus, and they tell us, that he will rule this world with a rod of iron. That's in Revelation 2 and verse 27, Revelation 12 and verse 5, Revelation 19 and verse 15. So while there is a promise, there is a vision of promise and preservation, there is also a vision of punishment. And John is told not to measure the outer court of the temple. It is to be given to the Gentiles, and they will occupy the city for three and one-half years. These are the days of the second half of the tribulation period. This verse brings out some thoughts that must be considered. The temple will be rebuilt sometime during the early days of the tribulation. No doubt one of the first accomplishments of the Antichrist will be to arrange a peace treaty between Israel and her enemies, Daniel 9 and verse 27. He will do what no other diplomat has ever been able to do. Even today, diplomats and world leaders are trying to secure peace in Jerusalem, and they will all fail. The Antichrist will bring a temporary pseudo-peace. When Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, comes, he will bring permanent peace to Israel. This peace treaty will give the Jews the right to build their new house of worship, Daniel 9 and verse 27. The Jews will rebuild their temple and will begin their sacrificial system of worship. Once again, the Jews will slaughter animals in their attempt to keep the law of God. And things are going to go well for a while. But somewhere around the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist will enter the Holy of Holies of the temple. He will enthrone himself as God, Matthew 24 and verse 15, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. 
And this event will mark the beginning of the most intense time of persecution Israel will have ever experienced, according to Matthew 24, 16 through 22. The Jews will lose their temple. They will be driven from their lands. They will be hunted down. They will be killed by the forces of the Antichrist and by the rest of their enemies. Israel will be, will be shown in the most vivid manner possible that animal sacrifice cannot take away sin and bring peace with God. God will allow them to build their temple. He will allow them to sacrifice again. However, their new temple is nothing more than a further rejection of their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sacrifices repudiate the gospel and reject the cross and the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ did what the blood of animals has never been able to do and it will never be able to do. Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. Their refusal to accept the preaching of the cross by the 144,000 Jewish preachers will not go unpunished because they have rejected the gospel. The Jews must pay a price. and They will be persecuted and pursued by their enemies. This process will serve to purify the Jewish nation and prepare them for the return of the Lord Jesus, Revelation 19. When he comes, the remnant of the Jewish nation that is left will turn to him and receive them as their Messiah, Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 through chapter 13 and verse 1, and again in verses 8 and 9. Now some preachers, including Hagee, John Hagee, and others are preaching that Jews are saved by a different method than any other people. Truth, in truth, there is only one plan of salvation for all people, and his name is Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The other day I was sent a video by a young tyke that had released something on Facebook and social media that tried to explain away John chapter 14 and verse 6, and he was trying to say, well, what Jesus was saying, that if you follow me, You'll see God, but he was not saying that he was the only way. To that young whippersnapper and the ignoramus, let me say this. According to the word of God, Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way. It is emphatic. Jesus Christ is the only way 
Satan would have you to believe that there's a number of ways to God. There are many ways to God, and just as there are many ways to Raleigh or Charlotte or Atlanta or, or Nashville, but don't you buy into that garbage. There is only one way to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way. It is emphatic. He's the only way. The Jews have rejected Jesus Christ and they will be punished as a result. Those who believe will be saved. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe. On his name. My friend, I hope you can see from these verses that number one, God still has a plan for Israel and for their future. But my friend, I hope you can see the reality of rejecting Jesus Christ. It is of utmost importance that you make the decision to believe on him. To not make a decision is to have already made a decision to reject him. And I hope you can see from current events that everything is lining up to ensure that God's plans will be brought to pass. Israel is preparing to build their temple and they're looking for their Messiah to come and save them. My friend, he is coming. But I would like to be able to tell them that he already has been. He has shed his blood. He has paid for sin. And he will save all who call on him by faith. My friend, I hope that you're ready to meet Christ. He is coming. He is coming very soon. And if you are not saved, you can be saved by coming to Jesus Christ by faith. If you're saved and you want to thank him for it, you need to do that today. If you're not walking close to him as you should be, you need to do that today. But folks, this thing is winding down. People need to make their preparations to leave this world because you will be leaving soon enough. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 28 through 32, When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption. Draweth nine, he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. And they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. If you are not born again, your time is getting short. 
Jesus Christ is coming. And today, and it may be for you today only, that you have the opportunity to either face him as judge or savior. You have to face him. Do you want him to save you, forgive you of your sin, or are you going to face him as judge? The decision, my friend, is yours. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.